Sambo, grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast, bringing you true crime from around the world. Hi Islanders, well this week we have another serial killer. Even though I, I do a true crime podcast, I don't know about all the serial killers and general scumbags out there. So when I see an interesting case on one of the many shows out there that I watch, like Forensic File, FBI Files, Cold Case Files, whatever, I think, hey, maybe that's a, a good case to have a look into. Now, this one was from Forensic Files, and it's a case from 1984 at Tampa, Florida. A Florida man. Okay, so tonight we look at Bobby Joe Long, the serial killer. References tonight are from the Tampa Tribune, the Tallahassee Democrat, the Bradenton Herald, also a piece from Captain Gary Terry of the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office, uh, a little bit from SerialKillerCalendar.com, check that out, uh, WFLA.com, and of course, Court Records. Okay, so we go back to 1984, Tampa, Florida. And on May the 13th, two young boys going for a walk discover a body in a ditch near a construction site at the intersection of East Bay Road and Sims Road, just near the overpass of Interstate 75 in Gibsonton. Now, the victim would be identified as 19-year-old bubbly and happy-go-lucky Nung Ti or Peggy Long, She also went by the name Lana Long. She was battered and strangled. Her nude body was found face down in a ditch, hands bound and a rope around her neck, just like a leash. Peggy was a dancer at the Sly Fox Lounge and had last been seen alive as she left a bar near Fletcher Avenue and 15th Street and that was about 20 miles away on the 11th of May. Peggy had a passion for cocaine and peppermint snaps. She didn't have a car and would always be trying to get a ride home. She was not known for sex work. Well, look, she was a go-go dancer, but she didn't have an arrest record. Peggy had wanted to study fine arts at the University of South Florida. Even though her boyfriend didn't report her missing, he told police that they had an argument the day she did go missing over the number of guys at the go-go bar calling her for dates. Now, this was suspicious to investigators, but he would soon be cleared when on May the 27th, another woman's body would be found in woods north of Plant City near Interstate 4. And that's Interstate 4 Park Road, and it's an overpass there. Now, that was in very similar circumstances. She was naked with hands bound. She'd been raped, battered, strangled, and her throat had been slashed. She would be identified as 22-year-old Michelle Denise Sims. She'd last been seen alive on Kennedy Boulevard near the Seven Seas Lounge. If you Google the Seven Seas Lounge, it's a pretty divey strip joint. Now, Michelle had only just arrived in Tampa 24 hours before she was murdered. Michelle was once a contestant in the Miss Tulare County Beauty Contest in California. She'd worked as a receptionist in a massage parlour in Fort Pierce, but she left there with a woman that was a known sex worker. Her aunt Sharon said she was very confused. One thing, she wasn't a prostitute. 
Aunt Sharon had brought Michelle up since she was three years old after her father held her and the babysitter at gunpoint. The father fled, leaving Michelle and the babysitter locked in the apartment. She'd just been busted, though, for having some cocaine and a joint on her on April the 29th in Fort Pierce. Probably most people, like I said in the last couple, have got cocaine and joints on them. Anyway, so this is the second murder, and it got investigators thinking this must be linked. The body's been found in a similar manner, manner, battered, naked, and dumped. Now, forensics would find some minute red fibres on articles of clothing that were found near the bodies of Peggy and Michelle. Now, the first thing I thought of when I heard about the red fibres was, I bet you they're the carpet fibres from the boot of a car. Now, the fibre would in fact be found to be nylon fibres, almost triangular, but the correct term is trilobial. And it's the type used in high-wear carpet that's found in offices and in cars. They would also be found at the scene of some of the other murders that we're going to talk about and will be found to be the exact same fibres. Other forensic evidence obtained would be tyre tracks near the bodies. Now, this was strange because it showed that the car had three different types of tyres on it. How many people out there have got just mismatched tyres all over their cars? Anyway... At around the same time as Michelle's body was found, 30-year-old Robert Joe Long, or Bobby Joe as he was known, answered an ad to buy some furniture. Linda Nuttall, 33 at the time, was a stay-at-home mum when she and her husband Kevin posted an ad in the newspaper to sell some furniture. Long responded to it and on the 28th of May, he went to her Palm Harbour home. Kevin was at work and Linda was home with her one-year-old daughter and four-year-old son. Long raped her while the kids were in the house. Now, that was just a day after Michelle Sims' body was found. And I'll talk more about Long just after this next bit. On June the 24th, the body of 22-year-old Elizabeth, or Lizzie Loudenback, was found by a man mowing the grass between rows of orange trees in a grove off Turkey Creek Road, and that's about a mile south of State Road 60. Lizzie was fully clothed and had been raped and strangled. She'd been reported missing on June the 11th, four days after she was last seen walking along Skipper Road near the entrance to Village Tampa mobile home community where she lived with her mum, stepfather and her teenage brother and sister. She was an epileptic and would leave home with, usually when she left home, she'd have two days supply with her. Being gone for more than that and her having not taken clothes with her raised the alarm with her parents. They said she wouldn't get into a car with a stranger and overall she was a pretty quiet person. Now Lizzie had worked as a solderer at Odessa Manufacturing Plant. Red fibres would also be found on Lizzie's clothing. So this red fibre thing is going to be really important and we're not even halfway through yet. The three different tyre tracks that were found at the scene of Michelle Sims' murder would be checked out by the FBI. They've got a tyre database. Now, one tyre was found to be a very common Goodyear tyre. The other was a Goodyear as well, but it was a Viva white wall tyre with the white wall side fitted to the wheel so it showed on the inside of the car, not the outside. The third type of tyre was unknown to the FBI at the time, so they did engage Goodyear again at their head office, 
and they found it was an exotic brand called Vogue, and it was also a white wall tyre that was fitted so the white wall was on the inside of the car. So we got these murders happening. The cops know they're probably linked because the murders they usually get to investigate, the bodies rarely have their hands bound. So this really does look like it's the same perpetrator. With the red fibres being found on the bodies as well, they're pretty sure there's a serial killer on the loose. The cops do set up more patrols in the area that women walk the streets when they're walking the streets looking for dates and undercover cops walk the streets as well, but nothing seems to come of it. Okay, so let's have a bit of a closer look at this Robert or Bobby Joe Long character. Now, he was born on October the 14th, 1953 at Canova, West Virginia. He was born with Kleinfelter syndrome or 47XXY. Now, this is an extra X chromosome and those affected by this are often infertile and have small, poorly functioning testicles. They also can be taller than the average male and as they grow up, they can start to grow breasts which actually happened to Long, and he was teased about this at school. Long's family life wasn't that good. His mother, a cocktail waitress, was divorced when he was two years old, and she had a train of guys through her bedroom from the Big Daddy Lounge where she worked. At six, he's hit by a car on an icy street, but because he's all rugged up in his snowwear, all padded jackets and that, he survives but deformities to his teeth and jaw also brings ridicule from school friends. He failed his first year of high school. Now, Long would sleep in his mother's bed until he was about 12 or 13, but he had a hatred for his mother, and that would flow on to his general hate for women. In 1970, he's arrested for stealing a car battery, but the charges are dropped. In 71, he's charged with resisting arrest, but he gets probation without a conviction. In 1972, he enlists in the Army and is assigned to Homestead Air Force Base in Miami, where he specialises as an electrician. In 1974, he would marry his girlfriend from school, Cindy Brown, and they would go on to have two kids. One girl is named, guess it, guess what it is, Bobby Joe. Now, Long would be hospitalised after being knocked off his motorbike by a car and he suffered further head injuries. Now, Cindy said that he became short-tempered after that. Cindy divorced Long in 1980 because of domestic violence. Long's attacks on Cindy were escalating and at one stage he choked her and knocked her unconscious. She gets the kids and he's ordered to pay monthly support. Obviously, he gets behind in it, and in a court case, the judge calls him a deadbeat. In November of 1980, Long gets a job at a quickie mart, then a funeral home, and in January 1981, he gets a job as an X-ray technician at Centro Asturiano Hospital. Long would move in with a female friend, Sharon Richards. She would end up accusing him later of rape and battery, and that's in 1981. On November the 18th, 1981, Long is charged after sending nudes to a 12-year-old daughter of a doctor. He's picked up, does two days jail, pleads no contest and gets six months probation with time served and ordered to pay court costs and fines to the total of $66.50. 
and fifty cents. Okay, so back then, sending nudes isn't just sending a picture of your dick over the phone. He actually wrote letters. So just clearing that up. Now, he leaves his job in Miami and gets an x-ray technician job in West Virginia in February of 1983. He leaves, but is back working at Huntington Hospital, West Virginia. He ends up getting fired a month later for ordering women to undress unnecessarily for x-rays. He's back in Tampa doing x-rays again by July 1983. And then he has the court case in September of that year for hitting his one-time roommate just a couple of years before. Now, he will appeal his conviction and he gets off. I think we see this often when people are probably on the edge of being super antisocial by raping women, attacking women, murdering women early on they do go to court several times and they get very light sentences or they get off. This seems to just happen time and time again. I'm sure it just makes them feel invincible. Anyway, let's keep going. Now, we've already spoken about the first murders and that one rape, but Long would ultimately ultimately be linked to many, many more rapes. After getting out of prison, Long developed an MO of checking for sale signs on houses and scanning the classifieds for ads selling furniture and other items that would get him access inside a house. If a woman answered the door and she was alone, Long would pull his knife on her, jump her, bind, and then rape her. Police would label this person the classified ad rapist. Now, he got into this between 1980 and 83. He would prey on his victims in the counties surrounding Ocala, Miami, and Fort Fort Lauderdale. A few times he raped girls as young as 12 or 13. Long would later say that he started raping women about midway in the 70s. And now we get back to 1984, where we've gone over the three bodies that have been discovered between May 13 and June 24. But there would be more. On October the 24th, the body of 18-year-old Chanel Devon Williams would be found. She was discovered near the Pasco Hills Borough County line, lying next to the dirt entrance road of a farm. Chanel's clothing, except for a bra, was found next to her body. Her bra had been tied in a knot and was found hanging from the entrance gate. Her head area was in an advanced state of decomposition, much more so than the remainder of her body. The autopsy revealed a puncture wound to the back of the neck, but a gunshot wound to the neck was the cause of death. Now, Chanel was not initially linked to the other murders as she was black and the others weren't. Also, she suffered a gunshot wound which which also differed from the other murders. But it would be red fibres and the manner in which she was dumped that would ultimately link her to the other crimes. Chanel had only recently moved to the Tampa area and told relatives she was going there to live with friends. Her family described her as a quiet child and easily led, and she didn't leave home because she wasn't loved. Chanel had been picked up for walking the streets for money on September the 11th and had been released from jail on the 28th of that month. Chanel had last been seen on the night of September 30, 1984 by a fellow streetwalker. They were working the area of Nebraska Avenue when Chanel's friend was hired by John. Now, they weren't far from the motel where they were conducting their business. 
Chanel's friend rode back to the motel in the John's car and Chanel was instructed to slowly walk back to the motel in order to check on her workmate. Thing is, Chanel never made it back to the motel. On October the 14th, the body of 28-year-old Karen Beth Din's friend was found nude from the waist down in an orange grove just off a dirt road in northeastern Hillsborough County. Karen's body had been dragged from the roadway. She'd been placed on a gold-coloured bedspread and a blue jogging suit was tied outside the blanket. The bedspread had been tied at both ends with common white string. Karen's hands were bound in front with a red and white handkerchief. Her right wrist and legs were bound with another white string. Her feet were bound with a drawstring and there were ligature marks on her throat. She'd been struck on the forehead and strangled. Karen was a cocaine user and also walked the streets for money. Now the style of the bindings and ligatures was similar to the previous murders and again, red fibres would be found on her clothing and on the blanket. Now, the gold fibres on the blanket would ultimately be found in Long's car. On October the 30th, the body of 22-year-old Kimberly Kylie Hops was found naked and partially mummified near Highway 301 in northern Hillsborough County. Kimberly was last seen by a boyfriend getting into a 1977-78 Maroon Chrysler Cordoba on October the 1st. There was no clothing or ropes or anything found near or on Kimberly's body and the amount of time she'd been exposed to the elements destroyed whatever evidence that may have been left. But several of Kimberly's long blonde hairs would end up being found in Long's car. On November the 3rd, 17-year-old Lisa McVeigh was leaving her job at Krispy Kremes in northern Tampa when she was abducted. She was actually working her second shift in a row because she just didn't want to go home. Now, at the time, she had dark thoughts in her mind. She wanted to kill herself and had written a suicide note the day before. She had endured years of sexual abuse by her grandmother's boyfriend. He would put a gun to her head and rape her. She was living with her grandmother because her own mother was a drug addict and sent her there to care for her granny. Lisa had been riding home on her bike when she was knocked off it outside a church. At gunpoint, she was blindfolded and thrown in a car by Long. She was able to remain calm, as this was just normal for her to be abused while having a gun pointed at her head. Now, this was about three o'clock in the morning. She was taken to a motel and raped over a 26-hour period. During this time, Lisa knew if she tried to fight it, she would only end up worse off. So she tried to empathise with Long, telling him that she was taking care of a sick relative and that she didn't want to leave, didn't want to leave him. While he was raping her, Lisa blindfolded, she would touch all over his face to try and get more detail on her attacker, noticing that he had thin eyebrows and a moustache. Long let her go to the bathroom, where she put her fingerprints all over every surface she could. Eventually, Long blindfolded Lisa, put her back in the car and started driving. Now, Lisa tried to see whatever she could and commit it to memory. She would recall that Long stopped at a 24-hour telemachine to withdraw some money at around 3am. She could see that the car she was in was red and had a red interior, including the carpets. They were also red. 
On the dashboard in front of her was the word Magnum. At one point, she was able to see a Howard Johnson's motel from under her blindfold. Then, out of nowhere, Long stopped his car, let her out, telling her not to remove the blindfold for five minutes. Now, this next bit's a bit disturbing. Eventually, she made her way home. Now, this is more than a day after she'd left work. Uh, now, after having thoughts on killing herself and writing a suicide note just just before she went to work that day, Lisa fought for her life after being abducted by a violent raping killer and she survived on her return home. She was interrogated by her grandmother's boyfriend for not coming home the night before and he beat her. Eventually, Lisa made it to the police and they wrote up a report. Lisa's clothing was covered in red fibres. She was also able to recall the details of the car being red or maroon with red interior and the word Magnum on the dashboard. Now, this is a huge break in the case. Only 1978 model Dodge Magnums had the Magnum badge on the dashboard. And you can, I think you can still get Magnums today. So just that one model year had it on the dashboard. The red fibres linked her to the serial murders that they were investigating. They would now be able to cross-reference telemachine withdrawals, what she remembered at about 3am, with users that drove a red 78 Dodge Magnum car and they came up with one name, Bobby Joe Long. Now this match, it came up at around the 13th of November, so it just didn't happen straight away. Now, if they had been able to get Long's name a little bit faster, they may have been able to prevent a couple more murders. Because on the 6th of November, the body of 18-year-old Virginia Lee Johnson was found near Zephyrillis, just beyond the Hillsborough County line in Pasco County by two women on horseback that noticed a bone pile. Investigators would find her bones scattered over a football-sized area with some clothing found at the scene. Virginia, well, she'd split her time between Connecticut and Tampa, working the streets for money. She'd been strangled by a shoestring found around her neck and or manual strangulation. On November the 12th, the nude body of 21-year-old Kim Marie Swan was found on an incline off the North Orient Road in the city of Tampa by a sign writer. She'd been dead for less than 24 hours. So this was just before investigators, as I said, were able to match up Bobby Joe Long as their prime suspect. Now, near Kim Marie Swan's body, there were a pair of blue jeans and blue flowered top. She was wearing knee-high nylons. Her body was face down with the head at the lower portion of the incline. It looks like Long had pulled off the road and thrown her body over the edge and onto the incline. Kim had pronounced ligature marks on the front portion of her neck. There were also ligature marks on both wrists and on both arms. However, these ligatures weren't found. Kim was a drug user and she worked the same bar Peggy Long or Lana Long had worked as a nude dancer, the Sly Fox Lounge. She was last seen walking out of a convenience store near her parents' home at approximately 3pm on November the 11th, 1984. With the bindings, strangulation, rape and red fibres, this murder was immediately linked to the others. Kim's hair would eventually be found in Long's car. So, now, 
There's a huge task force looking for Long after the break they got from Lisa McVeigh after she was let go. On November the 15th, Task Force Police noticed a red 78 Magnum driving along and stopped it. They checked out the driver and it was Bobby Long. They wanted to monitor him rather than arrest him at this time, so they gave him the excuse that they were looking into a robbery that had just happened. Bobby Joe Long was located at his apartment approximately two hours after being stopped by the task force members. They began a 24-hour surveillance of Long. Also, they used aircraft to minimise the chances that Long would spot the surveillance teams. Long was at the Carrollwood Movie Theatre, and as he walked out at 3.45pm, he was arrested on the charge of kidnapping and sexual battery of Lisa McVeigh. Long was returned to his apartment where detectives were waiting. Long refused to exit the police car to witness a search. Apparently in that district or that county, they're allowed to witness a police search, but just wouldn't get out of the car. Long was then taken to the Hillsborough County Sheriff Office Operations Centre for interrogation. At first, they only spoke about the Lisa McVeigh rape and abduction until Long, when he finally confessed to that, Then the detectives began going into the other murders. Now Long denied any involvement in the homicides initially, but within six hours he would confess to everything, including two murders unknown to police at the time. His car was found to have the Vogue tyre, the Goodyear Viva tyre, with both of those had the white wall inverted, so it was on the inside, not the outside, and they were in the exact location as the tyre tracks from the Michelle Denise Sims murder location. The red fibres found in his car were a perfect match to the ones found at various murder scenes. I think eight out of the ten bodies had these red carpet fibres on it. And it was these carpet fibres that made him finally confess. Long explained how he talked his victims into his car, immediately gaining control of them with a knife or a gun. He then bound them and took them to various areas where he sexually assaulted and then murdered them. He would go on to tell them where his first murder victim was dumped, 20-year-old artist Anne Wick, who he raped and murdered on the 27th of March, 84. Her remains were found with Long's help on the 22nd of November. And there was Vicky Marie Elliott, who was murdered on the night of the 6th of September or the morning of the 7th. She was a waitress at the Ramada Inn on Bush Boulevard. She'd actually started carrying a large pair of scissors with her when walking along Nebraska Avenue after being harassed by men on her way to work. These scissors were found near her body. Eventually, there would be 10 victims murdered by Long, either by strangulation, being shot or having their throat cut. They were aged between 18 and 28 years of age and most worked the streets. Eight of the ten women had the red fibres from his car and his car's carpet on them. What Long would do is make the women strip in the front seat of his car and their clothes would be in the footwell of the passenger seat. Now, of course, their feet are going to start rubbing their clothes into the carpet. So it wasn't just one or two fibres that Forensic were able to find under some microscope. There was tonnes of it. Blood typing was also used where found, but as the nature of Long's victims work, often there were several blood types found. Long, of course, not only murdered, but he raped, and he may have raped between 50 to 100 women in his time. 
Now, Long was charged with nine counts of first-degree murder plus felony counts of abduction, rape and the sexual assault on Lisa McVeigh. He would get multiple life sentences plus he would get the death penalty. He would appeal over the years and he'd win some, he'd lose some, but ultimately he would be executed by lethal injection on the 23rd of May 2019 at Florida State Prison, Bradford County. So, do we have any good to come out of this? Remember Lisa McVeigh, the 17-year-old that had written a suicide note, gone to work at Krispy Kreme and was knocked off a bike on the way home, raped for 26 hours, but was able to convince Long to let her go? Well, not only was she able to remember so many details of her abduction, which zeroed in on Long, but she would go on to become a Hillsborough Sheriff's deputy. She would also be a witness at Long's execution. And FYI, her name is now Lisa Nolan, in case you want to Google her and you can't find anything. Well, you will find stuff under Lisa McVeigh, but that's her other name. Now, what an amazingly strong person to be at rock bottom then be abducted and brutally raped, then fight to outwit her attacker, taking as much of her surroundings as she could, and then be absolutely crucial in getting long off the streets and into prison. You have to think, though, with the Green River killer Gary Ridgway, the Samuel Little case, and Bobby Joe Long, they all pretty much had the same MO. Take those that are the most vulnerable and easy to access, Murder them and dump them. Rinse, repeat, knowing that they have a pretty good chance of getting away with it. Without Lisa McVeigh's help, I wonder how many more murders Long would have committed. Now, he only did this within an eight-month period. Okay, Islanders, well, that's about it. Another case of a scumbag rapist murderer done. Now, I have actually four cases lined up. Uh, One is another serial killer and the others... uh, different so i hope you're not sick of serial killers i'm not 100 sure which order i'm going to put them in at the moment but we'll see soon okay before we get onto the patreon thing please everyone wish jason abercrombie a very happy birthday jason's one of the og islanders and he helps out moderation moderating the facebook happy birthday mate and have a few 4x okay so i'd like to thank my patrons past and present for keeping the island's lights on special just a big thank you to all those patrons oh the words aren't coming out so well if you'd like to throw a dollar my way please check out patreon.com forward slash true crime island or if you just want to shout me a beer you can donate to paypal.me forward slash true crime island a free beer is always nice after dumpster diving into these cases boom fuck a but can i just ask Can you take the time to share the podcast with your friends or even in groups on Facebook, whatever? The Island is one of the very few truly independent true crime podcasts out there and I'm commercial free. Because of the straight up nature of how I bring the show to you, this doesn't go well for Apple algorithms and so I do rely on your help in getting the word out there. Best of all, that's free of charge to help the Island out. Now, I also am listed on Audible. And that's where I get a lot of my books, actually, to, to listen to. So please rate and review me on there if you if you use Audible. There are quite a few podcasts on Audible now, so you might find a better alternative in that to listening in, especially if you have an Alexa, which is I bought because I've got Audible, and I just say, hey, Alexa, do this for me. Read this for me, Alexa. 
Go to my website, truecrimeisland.com, where you can stream each episode. If you don't want to use any of those iTunes, Alexas, Audibles, or anything, you can just download it if you want. I've got links to merch social media there as well. You could also email me if you want to get in touch with me. That's cambo at truecrimeisland.com. Well, that's about it. I've been your host, Cambo. You've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night. Boom, fuck a London.